Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Mary Beth Taylor has been encouraging generosity in all its forms since she was a child. And now as the Director of Donor Engagement at the Winnipeg Foundation, she leads a team helping donors in our province connect with the causes they care most about. I had the honor of sitting down with Mary Beth Taylor, a 30-year veteran of the philanthropic sector in Canada, to talk about the charity and nonprofit model in our modern world, the impact of working in Canada's most generous province year over year, and what the future holds when it comes to the next generation of giving. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined in her office by Mary Beth Taylor. She's the uh, Director of Donor Engagement at the Winnipeg Foundation. Mary Beth, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Nolan. I was just telling you, you're the first non-CEO of the Winnipeg Foundation staff to uh, join us on the podcast. So thank you very much for thank being you. here. Thank uh, you. talk. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. You've been in this world of philanthropy for how many years? It's 30. 30 years. So in November of this year, I'll be selling, celebrating 30 years in the sector. 30 years in the sector. We're going to get to your experience mm-hmm. in the philanthropic sector and how this all this whole world works. But the first question is the most hard-hitting one. I'm going to get right out of the gate for you. What has it been like being raised by a magician? <laughs> well, you have the best birthday parties. Did imaginable. he perform? Did your oh, dad? Yeah. Yes, 100%. And it was interesting because when I was a child, I loved it. And then when I got to be kind of an older youth, I didn't want it to happen again. I just right. wanted some somebody else or something else for my birthday parties. And then um, late, like kind of mid-teens, I thought it was cool again. Um, and now he he performs for my my son, um, and his his um, his birthday parties. Although he has requested other mu- magicians Amazing. instead of his grandfather at times, which is funny. That's the same trajectory of my mom playing accordion. <laughs> she w- used to just come down the stairs singing "Happy Birthday" at all my birthdays, playing yes. the accordion. And when I was little, it was funny medium. I was like, "Mom, get out of here!" Yes. And now that I'm older, I'm like asking for her to yes. play. Yes, but Hilarious. it was it was. Um, it was fun. I think we, um, my brother and I, um, both, you know, kind of embraced the creativity of it. Mm. Um, I think there's a reason and a linkage to why we aren't each scared on stage, right? Because we were put up, put on stage quite early. I learned my negotiation skills mm. because I found out he, my father, was being paid to be a magician, and he wasn't paying his assistants. So uh, at age six, I rectified that. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, I learned a lot of skills. (laughs) Incredible. So 30 years in this sort of industry, Mm -hmm. but how many at the foundation? Five or six? Uh, I'm going to be celebrating four Four? on November 1st. Very cool. So before TWF, you were at uh, not the World Wrestling Federation, (laughs) but the World Wildlife on the WWF. Uh, Maybe just take me back to when you first started 30 years ago. What was your role and how did it take me back? Sure, yeah. I had a number of roles. I actually began at the University of Manitoba, um, and I, I worked in between being a student pursuing my degree and working on staff there. I was mentored really heavily by Elaine Goldie, who is the director of development and later the direct, actually later the vice president there. And so I was able to do that and, and stayed actually with the university in a professional capacity for eight years. And then I moved to Toronto. Mm. And uh, I worked a little bit of time, actually, s- short time in, at McMaster University in cool. Hamilton. And then I was at the University of Toronto. I was at Sunnybrook and Women's when they were merged as one hospital. 
um, for about five years and then I ended my time in Toronto for five years at World Wildlife Fund. Very cool. Yes, not Wrestling Federation. <laughs> what, was this all fundraising at the, or like kind of that's the whole world you've been existing in? Yes, yeah? actually. I did a number of roles um, and primarily in Toronto I did a lot of campaign strategy um, some major gift work and plan giving right. mostly what's the difference specifically between working in other places versus working in Manitoba like everyone says it's kind of like friendly Manitoba everybody yes. knows anybody everybody yes. it's a big big small town so what have, what have your experiences been working in this sector here sure well when I came back to Manitoba, what I was really taken with was, first of all, we are the most generous province per capita in the country. And so that generosity is really kind of woven in everything that we do. Um, we're also a really strong relationship building community. So um, philanthropy is really kind of peer to peer um, people um, really engaged volunteers really engaged and and asking those around them for support um, but the third thing that I was really taken with when I got back from Toronto um, was what visionary uh, creativity and combined with philanthropy was able to accomplish okay. in the decade I was away. Do you have a specific example of something Absolutely. that came together? Um, Reimagining what Assiniboine Park could look like. Mm. Um, you know, and the creative partnership between Manitoba Conservation and the park in terms of polar bear care. And then linking that to learning about climate and, and our planet and marketing what's happening in the north. And, and Churchill to tourists and really those kinds of collaboration at kind of multiple levels of government, philanthropy, really visionary approaches, somebody saying let's build a better zoo mm. um, is, is just is inspiring. And if you look at what Manitoba was able to achieve in the last 20 years in terms of new museums, new mm. green spaces, parks, uh, zoo, expansion to our post-secondary education uh, and our institutions, just creativity. Um, if you walk through um, the Via Rail Station, mm. through Alloway Arch, over the Provence Bridge, that's all new. And that was all because visionaries came together and made, made, made things happen. Yeah. When everyone knows everyone, it's a it's a bit of a double edged. Like I'm from a small town, so you know, knowing everybody's business is is sort of a <laughs> one thing. But then at the same time, you know who everyone is, so you can pick up the phone, make a call, and say, "Hey, I want to do this thing." And it's probably a lot easier, like a lot less red tape to cut through when you just can, when you know the guy that needs to sign off on the thing or whatever, right? So it's probably well, you easier. know where people's talents and treasures are. Mm. You're and you and you know where people's interests are. And it's easier to start the conversation, um, and and you're and you know who to, you need in the room, and you know how to gather them, yeah. and um, and that's unique, and it's very special. And yeah. when you combine that to with our generosity and our value of generosity, that's why our community has been really inspiring and mm -hmm. and looked at in terms of other other centers when i was in toronto a lot of people would ask me mm. about winnipeg and about being from winnipeg and and what are you doing in winnipeg look at all of these exciting things right. very cool why did you want to get into this world 
Oh, I never wanted to do anything else. Really? Yeah. I heard your birthday was is actually <laughs> National Philanthropy Day. Yes. You were born into it, so you were <laughs> I destined. Was. November 15th, yes, is uh, National Philanthropy Day. Cool. And uh, yes, it is also my birthday. And uh, yeah, no, I never wanted to do anything else. And so even as a kid, you even just as a knew? kid, I was very, very inspired by Terry Fox, mm. um, and I didn't know what it meant to work in charity, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so I was quite often um, encouraged by teachers, my parents, other folks to pursue law, mm. then get myself on a board and then make change that way. Um, and I was just very fortunate to find Elaine and find the Department of Private Funding, as it was called at the university while I was studying there, to find out that there was no, there was a whole career that I had yeah. available to me. A whole world that exists. Mm -hmm. So take me back 30 years. What was the climate like at the time as far as fundraising is concerned compared to now? Do you feel like it's pretty much the same? Has, has, has the needle shifted in any oh, way? Oh, there's incredible change. There's mm -hmm. incredible growth. Right. Like when I was at the university, there was not a lot of professional. Like it was in, in the early 90s. There wasn't a lot of professional fundraising. It was mm -hmm. kind of... Um, you know, the Winnipeg Foundation, the United Way, um, a, a few really great charities, um, and um, the universities and the hospitals. Mm. And, you know, now there's 88,000 charities across the country and, uh, you know, professional designations and, right. and master's degrees and people study to, to have these roles. For me, I, I studied political science at the university and managed to learn how to do this on the job between classes. So I was really at the right place at the right time. Your um, sort of historical context, I'm curious about, do you think the philanthropic sector will always have to exist? Yes, yeah. although I think it should be every fundraiser's goal or every person who works in the charitable sector's goal to be unemployed. Right. You should work to try to build to solve the problem. To that you're solve the to problem, solve, right? Exactly. But the the machine is just such a big. You know, it's almost hard to think of a world where these jobs won't exist because there's so much need out there, right? So how is that even a realistic? goal at all or is it just kind of a pipe dream that we can aim towards someday well and i think i think generosity in various capacities has to exist no matter what we're doing so whether or not we do um, achieve our ultimate goal of making a world where charity isn't necessary there will always be a need to be generous and mm. to be kind and to be there for others um, and and that's ultimately what i i and others get up every day and are able to to do we're really really privileged well i was going to say you're very lucky to be able to work with donors so mm -hmm. for, on such a close basis has there been a, a, ch a shift in the tone of donors needs and wants 30 years ago versus today or is it pretty much the same well i think every changing generation brings mm. a different approach to philanthropy and generosity um you know my grandparents and the way they gave and they were very generous um for, you know, and that was a very core value of who they were. Um, their giving was very, they'll write a check to the organization and then they'll just trust that the organization, and they didn't need to um, have that stewardship or that recognition or that um, impact reporting back. Um, 
you know, today's, as the generations have shifted and changed, there's more of a need to have, you know, an ongoing relationship and, and um, see where you see your gift at work. And I think that's going to change as my son, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and his generation. Um, But we've all kind of had that same core value of belonging and, and, you know, trying to build a better community. It's just the different generations have approached it very differently, which has meant that the charitable sector has had to evolve and change. 100%. I was just going to ask about, about your boy. And I mean, <laughs> he, has a found, he has a fund at the foundation and mm-hmm. very, very active in the philanthropic sector. Just maybe generally, what are you seeing the trends with youth and how they want to give and why they want to give and where they want to give? What, mm-hmm. what, what, are, those, what, are, those, what are those lines look like? <clears throat> well, I think it's something that we as a sector and you know, not only the sector, but as, as a community have to invest in. When you and I were kids, um, giving was more visible. Mm. We saw our parents give. We saw our parents you know, go to door to door to collect for charity that they believed in or pass the, um, the offering or, mm. you know, be an, an alliance or a kinsman or involved in community in that way. Um, our, chill, our giving now is more hidden and not as inclusive of the next generation. So it's something that I've had to actively make sure my son understands that A, both of his parents work in the sector and secondly, both of his parents believe strongly in generosity mm-hmm. and involve him in giving mm-hmm. so that he he sees it. Um, I think Terry Fox Day um, has been immensely important, um, just like UNICEF was important to us, mm-hmm. right? The to pennies and kind of, the, the little pennies, box, Halloween, right? yeah. And understanding, so making making sure that you know we are talking to our our child about it, and right. and so that he knows that there's a community larger right. than him, and he has responsibilities in in that community. So what's Daniel's response? Like, what is his cause of choice? <laughs> he actually has two. Um, he uh, actually three. Um, his strongest cause would be um, environment mm. and animal welfare. Those cool. are he is a strong strong um, champion for any endangered endangered species particularly the pangolin and he would want me to emphasize not penguin he loves penguins but pangolin um he also um loves the children's hospital and um he really is quite engaged with main street project right now Mm. through his school cool and learning that um the importance of kind of um, community and and um, humanity. Well, we're in a very difficult time. There's a lot of you. You know, you go downtown Winnipeg and you see some very upsetting mm-hmm. people, or not upsetting people, but up, people in upsetting situations. Yes. Let's yes. say, what is his response? What's your response to to that sort of world that we're currently living in? And and how does Daniel sort of like navigate when he's dealing with Main Street Project, which is one of the you know mm-hmm. most important organizations in our city when it comes to helping people that are mm-hmm. at their most vulnerable? Well, his school does this excellent, excellent partnership with Main Street Project, where every child in his school. Um, decorates a paper bag mm. that they then use they collect items and fill the paper bag so every person at Main Street Project has a holiday present during the season and he's he and his school have been involved in that for about four or five years and then in turn they learn about homelessness 
and um, your responsibility, the mm. humanity behind um, who, who is on the street, the story that they were, you know, that they they were loved. Um, they, they're somebody's son or daughter. Right. Um, and um, how it's our responsibility to to take care of each other. Right. So um, he has been quite, um, the addictions conversation has mm. been, um, has happened. Um, and he's understanding um, a little bit about that addictions do impact um, impact people, right. and and um, he actually recognizes Scott Oak, mm-hmm. uh, who we've um, ha- you know have involved have you and I have yeah. um, met and had a pleasure of getting to know, um, and he calls him the man who helps people because he understands that that's. Um, that's a role that he has he has played. So I think he um, we've really tried to emphasize that kind of quote of the Mr. Rogers quote of look for the helpers mm. and that sometimes we're the helpers and sometimes there's other people that are the helpers. But right. it's it's all of our collective responsibility. I've been thinking a lot about um, our model, the endowment model. We invest in the future. We're going to be here forever. But there's also a lot of need right now. How do you balance with your work and your profession and your, you know, professional life the need for to solve problems right now and how many resources we have at our disposal versus the problems in a hundred years from now that the foundation is also dedicated mm-hmm. to solving? Yeah, and I think that we have the privilege of of helping donors um, do both, right? We can talk to donors and and have them you know, give through um, or, or um, give a blended gift so that they're giving for today, but then also giving to tomorrow. Because I, I think it's also very important for us to have the, the endowed model as so that we are able to respond. That's kind of the backbone. That, the backbone, yeah, yeah. right? And, and if you look at your own, if I look at my own personal finances, I have both, mm-hmm. right? I have my immediate that goes to my immediate right. needs. And then I have my long term that's going to take care of myself and my my family and the charities that I care about long term. So I think there's there's room for both. Um, And I think that, you know, making sure that we're working with donors on what their generosity plans look like and how they can achieve what they want to achieve in community and and help them um, work through the methods that they use to make that happen, whether or not it's an immediate annual gift or it's a long-term creation of an endowed fund or it could be a planned gift in their in their will. There's there's room for all of us in, in um, what we're all trying to achieve. I think that's one of the strengths of your team. And since you've came on board mm-hmm. of just being, there is no wrong way to give. Mm-hmm. We, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out a way mm-hmm. to make your needs, being the donor, to help the needs of the organization or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, how do you respond to people who criticize and say like, we, you should be spending that money right now. Like we have problems now. Who knows what's going to happen in 20 years or 25 or 100 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what's your response? Well, I think we, um, I could use COVID as an example, mm. right? How we were able to quickly mobilize and um, respond to the COVID, COVID needs. And when you think back, to the Alloways at the time of their fun, uh, their initial creation of the Winnipeg Foundation, um, 
there would have been a lot happening in 1921 that mm-hmm. would have been in recent memory. Obviously, the general strike, mm-hmm. uh, the end of the First World War in 1918, um, but also um, the flu um, pandemic um, right. would have been fresh in his mind. So it was very moving for me to think about 100 years later in 2020 and 2021, we were using the same funds that mm-hmm. Mr. Alloway and Mrs. Alloway and, and the Widow's Might and others invested right. to respond to the next um, really um, impactful, disastrous um, pandemic. And we were able to respond quickly and we were able to respond to community. and. I, I, I use that as an example, right? That that provided, our model provided us that, that opportunity. And to add to that, it's not, uh, we didn't have to go out and say, hey, we just, everyone come and don't, we need more money to help to solve mm-hmm. this COVID thing. We already had, you know, the, the endowment model is built such that there is a way for us to be agile and maneuver. Okay, we mm-hmm. don't need to go raise money. We have this ability to be agile. Like yeah, that. and we were able to actually um, do a couple of other things too. We were we were able to say we if people want to donate, we did have right. a COVID response fund. So we were able to have donors join us and join our efforts. Um, we also were able to work with fund holders here, so donors who have endowment funds and and talk to them about mm-hmm. how they could maybe grant to some of the organizations that were in need that were having to quickly adapt um, and literally were on the front lines saving lives. Yeah. And um, so that was a very, um, as I said, moving, mm-hmm. but also um, like important um, moment in time. We get to see the, uh, the wide array of humanity at this job. Mm-hmm. We get to see, you know, people being helped out by a Main Street project, then we mm-hmm. get to go to gala dinners. What's, how, how have you, in your 30-year career, sort of reconciled the difference between people who are privileged enough to be able to be generous versus those who need, need a bit of a hand up? And how do you sort of, how, does, how has that affected your work? And how, mm-hmm. how does that affect how you go to work every day and, and, and approach this job? Yeah, you know, and I'm very moved by, I'll just kind of share a little story that was from here that was happening at the same time. Um, We had a major, major donor coming in who was leaving a really transformational gift. The donor had sold their business and and, um, significant proceeds of that sale were being donated to the Winnipeg Foundation to, um, you know, make an impact Mm -hmm. in community. Um, So... We had members of the team um, who were meeting with that donor and talking about their impact in community. And at the same time, we had a donor who had been a recipient, um, who had uh, been actually involved in an after-school program that the Winnipeg Foundation had funded, recognized our logo, came downtown, and left um, a a $1.00 gift and gave it to the community fund and so I had another member of the team one of my colleagues was was meeting with that donor and was talking about the impact of her gift in the pooled community fund and how that was going to be joined with other donors and make an impact um, year after year after year mm-hmm. um, what I was it was very early in my time here I think I was here for weeks and what I was really struck with was that 
the respect didn't change. Both were treated mm-hmm. as they were making the, and they were, they were making an incredible impact in community. And both were incredibly generous. Mm-hmm. If you looked at um, where each came from, each were giving a transformational gift what they could to give. the organization. And we, each were treated as such. And so that's extremely moving for me. And um, I think it's, but that's also an essential component of a community foundation. Mm -hmm. Is that, I mean, that's why you probably chose to, you could have worked at any organization in the world with your pedigree, (laughs) but like, (laughs) so why why TWF, why the Winnipeg Foundation? Well, I wanted to come here like years ago, Mm. like for almost the whole 30 years. Um, I wanted to come, I always tease Megan Tate. um, because she's had, you know, the privilege to be here f- for many, many, many decades. But yeah, no, this is um, an extraordinary organization. Um, it's so well respected nationally, um, well respected even internationally in the community foundation movement. Um, so I always wanted to secretly come here. Um, so it was a bit of a dream when it when it all when it all happened and I was able to really kind of do a lot of the um, interesting kind of charitable sector work that I've always kind of dreamt of us doing. Like bigger picture kind of stuff? Bigger picture like let's engage the next generation let's make sure um, donors from underserved communities are represented represented pardon me and those kinds of things kind of working as a consultant when I was doing that before um I certainly championed and certainly tried to engage and I think I I was able to to make some progress but when I joined the Winnipeg Foundation that was really now you kind of have the machine behind you yeah yeah yeah, and the team behind me and they are with me alongside me and (laughs) it's been yeah it's it's a dream come true. So the sector is often loud, lauded as, is that the word lauded? As stressed, stretched out, you know, everyone's working their butts off frontline workers. Um, what, what's your assessment currently of the sector and, and where do you see the next, you know, five, 10 years looking mm-hmm. when it comes to the philanthropic uh, world? <clears throat> I think, excuse me, I think the sector is going to have a lot of change ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, we're going to have to continue that um, kind of culture of generosity. We're going to have to work together on that culture of generosity. We're going to have to be inclusive to make sure that everyone sees their place in generosity um, so that that, uh, you know, that donors at all levels um, feel welcomed and feel like they belong. Um, We're going to have to really expand who we invite to the table of boards Mm -hmm. and volunteers. Um, because there, it hasn't always represented the next generation. We always, we haven't always had gender equality. We haven't always invited different voices from um, other communities to the table. And I think that's really going to be essential in the next um, next phase. But I, I do worry that we are headed to a bit of a, a, a bumpy time economically, mm-hmm. um, and you know, recession will impact charity. So. Um, we're going to have to really work together um, because the sector more and more takes on a lot of really important, vital work um, often that was was handled elsewhere. Um, and um, so as, 
you know, governments change in terms of what um, they manage and more and more goes to the sector, we're going to have to make sure that we continue to invest in and give back. Um, the other thing I think we really need to focus on is, as a community, um, not only in Manitoba, and, but also nationally, is the incredible value the sector brings mm. economically. Right. Yeah, that doesn't get talked about. <laughs> no, we are an economic driver. Yeah. You know, when you look at some of the capital campaigns that have happened, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, builders, you know, construction companies, architects, um, all the, that's been very important to yeah. our to our economy um, in terms of tax revenue as well, and and just employment and and how many people are employed by this sector. So I think making sure that we're seen as the, f- the third sector rather than just, um, you know, maybe, you know, the second, you know, kind of below government. Quietly doing yeah, our quiet work in the, in the shadows and, and a little private. bit. Yeah. You know, we are alongside the, our, our private and, and public um, sector colleagues and, and friends and, and make sure that we're elevated as such. This sector seems to be um, apprehensive to take that role. I don't know if it's just because we're shy, you know, shy, or just kind of we don't want any of the highlights or any, you know, we're not the ones that need the focus. But how do we how do we shift that mindset away to to be another seat at the table and be a, a strong voice? Mm-hmm. I mean, just when it comes to sort of advocating for social change and, and social improvement from the philanthropic sector, normally we've just kind of you know maybe bit our tongues a little bit more, but what are your thoughts about like strongly stating our needs and our wants as a sector versus how we've kind of quietly been going about our work for the last hundred years or so? Right. Is there a shift in the future? Should we, or is it is it better to maybe stay out of those conversations? Well, I think we've all, always, and maybe we haven't talked about this enough, but if you look where there has been change, societal change, it's often been driven by the charitable sector. And um, any change, you, you, every time you give a gift, you actually mm. are, are saying you believe in change. It is a bit of a vote, right? You're, <laughs> you're voting you're with voting your money. You're voting with yeah. your wallet. Yeah. You're, so um, I believe that cancer can be beaten. And I believe, so I, I support um, cancer charities. I believe, you know, that children um, should have access to art. Right. There's I I believe in change, which means that I support missions that that align with that. So I think the charitable sector has been at the forefront Mm. of great change and we have opportunities to continue to be at the forefront of great change. Um, But I also think um, Imagine Canada has done an extraordinary job of saying the sector needs a home in the federal government. and really kind of expressing that value. Um, so I, I do think that there's going to be more of that. But I think as a community, um, we need to start also emphasizing that we are the generosity capital of this country. Mm-hmm. Manitoba is is the top, you know, even if you look at our own community foundation movement, right? 191 community foundations across the country, and 56 now 57, I believe, yep. are in Manitoba. Like, that's unreal. Yeah. We are a leader, and we are starting to establish that. Um, 
it's interesting to think about the future and how how that's going to be impacted um do you is there any i mean we're in the middle of a of a uh figuring out th- how the foundation is going to be shaped we have a new person at the helm sky mm-hmm. um what are you seeing for the next five years at twf for the next 10 years specifically when it comes to um just our role in the city and in the province and in the country well, I think we'll continue to lead, but not out in front, mm. right? Lead from the side. Um, and I think we'll continue really strong engagement and a lot of listening, um, listening to what the needs of community are, and then um, really facilitating that with the generosity of donors mm-hmm. so that we're able to kind of bring that forward. Um, I think encouraging Uh, generosity across the province not only within the Winnipeg Foundation when you come and talk to me about generosity you're not necessarily talking to me about a gift to the Winnipeg Foundation if your fit is is right out in community at another organization then I will help facilitate that so our role is to really encourage you know a community where life flourishes for all Mm -hmm. right and that doesn't necessarily always mean um, us um, as as the the, the recipient, right. where we are, where so I see more of more of that, and then really an opportunity to kind of really engage and see who is next in mm. terms of who are our donors of today, but then who are our donors of tomorrow, and then after that, and make sure that Manitoba continues to have that kind of culture um, of giving. Are you generally optimistic? Oh, very, yeah. very optimistic. Yeah, Manitoba is, uh, it's a, it's, you know, it's a beautiful place. It's, uh, it's an incredible place. It's, it's a place that's based on relationships. Friendly Manitoba. <laughs> Friendly Manitoba. And that really benefits charitable giving, right? right? It's, it's, part of who we are it's a hell of a place to work that's for (laughs) sure yeah and I just think the general vibe of the like we we say internally a little bit that we don't solicit donations we just say hey come on in and we'll see what works like it can be with us it can be with anyone as long as you're just picking choosing a cause and you know standing for something and building something and helping something and just that that mindset is is such a great thing to be a part of and a thing to promote rather than always looking for donate and the money, 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 right? We're more of a, and it's a slightly different, but it, but it's nice to be a part of. Yes. And it, I mean, we're very privileged that we're able to be that way too, because we have that hundred year history. There you go. Um, whereas, you know, some of our, um, our friends in the sector, um, you know, really just are starting having, out or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, or, you know, even if they're um, a few decades old, right. There's, they're um, having to really um, determine and, and, and I am, identify who may be interested in their mission and what right. they're trying to accomplish. So we're really fortunate in that place, that mm-hmm. place, but that, that allows us me to then step back and, um, act as more of a facilitator. Right. Yeah. A, a, a rising, connector. a rising tide a lifts. Connector. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for your time. I love oh. picking your brain about Thank this you. sector because it's such an interesting time to be in this work mm-hmm. because, you know, 
we have more access to all the information now. We see videos from across the world, wars happening across the planet, and just seeing how we can help and, and how this organization and others in the sector are helping solve some of these problems. I think it's a fascinating time to talk yeah. about philanthropy and, and to learn about it and to think about it because it's a it's a... It's a wild time out there for sure. Uh, at the end of our time together, we do a section called Just Because, where it's okay. seven questions about the causes you care about and the effect mm -hmm. that. We've covered a, a couple of them, sure. but uh, we'll just go through it anyways sure. and see where it goes. So the first question is, what's the first cause you actually remember caring about? Was it Terry Fox? It was Terry yeah. Fox. Did you do the runs back oh, in the... Oh, yeah. yes. That was... And I followed his run very closely. I, so what, 73 was that? Uh, no, or? it was 1980. 80, and okay. And I was... Um, I would have been eight years old. I'm totally wow. giving my age away. Yeah, nobody's good at math. That's why. So yeah. he, um, yeah. And I, I had the promise. My father had promised me that um, if he, at that time, we thought it was for sure, he would come across, uh, he was going across the Trans-Canada Highway. So I thought, I was living in Boys, Maine, and I thought I would be going, able to go up and see him in Brandon. And of course, sadly, he, he ended his, his uh, marathon of hope just outside of Thunder Bay. Wow. So um, I was quite moved by his his run, um, the simplicity of his message, which I think is just an important simplicity. I, I have his picture up. Um, I have yep. quotes around of him around me. He inspired me to 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 um, to enter this sector. But I was just his message was so simple, right? You know, if 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 every Canadian gives one dollar we can beat cancer. Yeah. Right. And, and it cool. was just, it was so hopeful. Um, question two, if money, politics and logistics were no mm -hmm. issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. What would you do in support of your current main cause? Right now, I think even like Terry, even though it was about cancer research, it was really about mobilizing community mm -hmm. right towards a common goal. So I think if I could, um, snap my fingers I would make everyone listen to one another mm. and enter into dialogue and enter into active dialogue where you're actually listening to understand not listening to respond I would up the respect factor and um, you know work together on on a on a common goal and really kind of break down some of the divisions that we're finding in community. We're in an era of talky-addy. You know, people yeah. just put their things out. They don't want to hear your response to it. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. And I think that's such an interesting and important perspective of like, let's maybe just zip our own mouths a bit and listen to what others have, have said because you can learn a lot even if you don't think you can. <laughs> well, if you think about like Terry, right? He was evidence-based. He was following what the research was telling him. Mm -hmm. He was had a, a great respect for science. And he was um, you know, mobilizing everyone around what he what he believed based on those. And would he have had in this day and age of social media, would he have had the same impact? Well, you have that photo there. Zero yeah. likes, zero posts, zero shares, but still millions of followers, yes. right? Like, yeah. and that's fast. Before, so, yes. I mean, there's how many channels? Two back then? Like, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, I would run home from school and I would figure out where he was. Amazing. Yeah. That's legendary. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, question three, what's the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about maybe the philanthropic sector in general, let's say? Biggest stigma. That only 
it's only for the wealthy Mm. because it's absolutely not. You can make impact in so many ways. It can be monetary and um, it can be like, I I want people to remember the story of the donor um, who who gave the dollar and and, um, you can volunteer. It can be. Um, right. You know, there's so many, um, so many ways to make an impact in community. And, and in some cases, it's just, you know, opening the door for someone. Right. It's, it's yeah. building a um, building that community of of caring and of love. Yeah. Philanthropy, the word feels yes. like it's money, monetary, that world. But philanthropy can be time, skills, energy, just, you know smiling at someone if they need a a, driving someone to an appointment those kinds of things i mean philanthropy literally means love of humankind love of humanity and it's you know um, sky said it so beautifully recently it's it's loving someone you haven't met before Mm -hmm. and and the world needs that yeah and knowing that you just you're you're there to help them whether or not you benefit from it or not Mm -hmm. yeah beautiful so question four, mm-hmm. what is a recent victory, either personally mm-hmm. or professionally, that you can share with us today? Like a, a dub. What's one of your recent <laughs> dubs? I think like most parents, um, I am feeling very grateful and proud to have gotten through the pandemic. I know <laughs> there's still um, a lot of challenges ahead in terms of the pandemic, and we're not, sadly, not 100% out of it. Um but I'm very proud of the um, the way I was able to to care for my son, mm. which was a privilege. I know not every parent had um, what I was able to have, um, but I was really grateful to have a a really supportive workplace. Um, you know, a CEO first at the beginning, Rick later um, with Sky, who both said we can't have a vision that community life flourishes for all, and then mm-hmm. not be supportive um, to uh, employees with with families. So that ability to homeschool and um, and work mm-hmm. every day, um, but then also the ability to provide that to my team and make sure that those mm. that work with me felt supported. And we're able to um, to succeed and really kind of reprioritizing the you know the importance of family and the importance of health and making sure that um, we we were healthy and and caring for others as well. Yeah. So I think uh, I think that and I'm extremely proud of that generation of kids who <laughs> were resilient. Like they they missed birthday parties, they missed school, they missed milestones. Kids missed graduations. They missed, um, you know, that we saw a little a lot of discrepancies between kids um, who had access to technology, mm-hmm. kids, kids who had access to food security, kids who had safe homes who might not have had safe homes. Um, and so the, the resilience in, yeah. in our community and, and with, with, I'm really grateful for the children um, um, yeah. through the pandemic. So Great. I would say, yeah, I, I you know, um, being able to be a mom and working here, that's one thing I'm I'm quite proud of. Pulled it off. We did Pulled it. Pulled it off. <laughs> I I was able to do grade five math, which <laughs> was something that I, I wasn't sure I would be able to do. But you can Google it now, though, I right? I can Google it, yes, yes. Part. And I did know that my son understood Alexa a little bit more than mm. I had thought. He did say, Alexa, 
what is and then do a long division problem so um so yeah i mean that's a different talk for a different time (laughs) kids access to the internet what they can find out but uh, yeah great answer thank you thank you great answer uh question five what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given huh best piece of advice i've ever been given oh absolutely i know this one very well elaine goldie who I referenced earlier, who was the vice president of external relations at the University of Manitoba and my kind of very first mentor in the sector. Um, she told me to keep a sunshine file that in this, um, in this sector, there's going to be times when you're disappointed, when you've asked someone to, to give to something and they've given somewhere else. Um, or you're going to see a lot of sadness sometimes mm-hmm. and sometimes, you have to remember the hope um, and you have to remember what you're trying to solve and what and, you're here for the helpers yeah. as right. you said right, right. earlier and um, so I do do that still I keep clippings I keep pictures I keep lots of pictures around me if you're you're sitting in my office mm-hmm. so I have lots of inspirational quotes um, I I clip good news stories save good news star- stories um, and when there are times when you don't feel the goodness, you go in and you read it and you're inspired by it. So when I worked at World Wildlife Fund and, you know, there was, there was sometimes some climate change is a scary, sad, no terrifying and has story. Been for th- and has been for 30 years or longer. <laughs> Um, so I, I kept children's art around me, mm. you know, and to kind of look up and go, the yeah, future. keep going, yeah. keep going. You got this. You still do. Yeah, are these all Daniels? Or? Yeah, those are mostly, yeah, those are mostly Daniels. Nice. <laughs> well, he's a, he's a superstar already. <laughs> uh, along the same lines of advice, what advice would you give your 10 year old self if you mm. could talk to her? So I think about this a lot. I think about the 10 year old self and then I think about the 95 year old me mm. and where I give what I hope, what I hope my the 95 year old tells me but with the 10 year old um i would say that the passion that you have inside of you for community that you don't really understand and maybe the grown some of the grown-ups in in your world don't understand and certainly a lot of the kids in your world don't understand that fire is in you for a reason and you're going to achieve something cool awesome so i think that um yeah, and, and you're creative for a reason. Hell yeah. Um, the 95-year-old self, I hope, um, has said that I ended my days being loved and having the right people in front of me and that I made the right choices for balance. That does lead into the final mm. question. What do you want to be remembered for? Um, my Obviously making... The community better than I found it. I love that. Yeah, yeah that's like the best. Making, um, Leave wherever room you went into better off than mm, when, or what, not necessarily room, but yeah, space. Yes, like that I, I, I walked out of this community and, and it looked a little bit brighter. Um, but then I also shared um, my knowledge with others so that that continued. So that the team I'm building here, that I work with every day, that they're equipped I try, I'm trying to, even though I'm only 50, I'm still trying to step away and push them forward because that's the gift I was given early in my career and allowed to kind of, to grow. And, and so really by the time I, I, you know, I 
edge out of this sector, I should really be in the background. And others who don't look like me and have very different experiences like me, some of them may be a lot like me, but hopefully there's a lot more, um, are, are taking the, the next phase. Well, every meeting, every conversation, every room that I'm in with you, I, f- I walk away feeling a little <laughs> bit better, a little stronger, a little smarter, a little more motivated, a little more inspired. Um, so thank you for doing it. Thanks for being on this team. Thanks thank for you. everything you do thank for TWF. You. you were one of the first people I met at TWF. Was it? I don't even remember. Yes, yes. What, I, I met how did you, that happen? Um, when I was consulting and I was... Um, presenting okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah, right 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 my uh you know the folks that were helping me out so i've been a fan of nolan (laughs) for quite a while well thank you uh it's an honor to have you on the podcast thanks again mary beth taylor thanks for inviting me thanks bye Thank you again to Mary Beth Taylor for your insights and your perspective on today's show. Uh, if you're listening to this right now and you'd like to get involved in the world we live and work in here at the Winnipeg Foundation, if, you know, if you have the ability and the privilege to be generous and to help others, please go to wpgfdn.org or you can call 204-944-9474 and ask to be connected with someone from Mary Beth's team. Um, you know, she can find she and her team can help find the cause that's the right fit for you and you can really make a difference in this world that's uh that's the work we're doing and it's uh it's great to be a part of that so thanks again mary beth and thank you for listening it's a it's a wild time out there i i (laughs) i recognize that you could be spending your time doing anything in the world right now you could be um you know there's a lot a lot of work to do out there and I, i i greatly appreciate you choosing to spend your limited time your precious time with us here on because and effect All music on this show is composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com or by searching Trenton Burton on Spotify. Because and Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can learn more about the foundation by visiting wpgfdn.org or by visiting at wpgfdn on all social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on social media, signing off for this week. And remember, always finish what you started. Bye-bye.